Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Lawmakers introduce an enormous government funding bill. We take a look under the hood to see what's in it. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky is scheduled to visit President Biden at the White House and address Congress on Capitol Hill today. It's his first known trip abroad since the start of the war. The Texas National Guard is preparing for a surge of illegal border crossings. With migrants anticipating the end of Title 42, razor wire fences are being set up. States from the East Coast to the Rockies are expected to feel the bite of winter this week. Find out what governors around the U.S. are doing to brace for the cold streak before Christmas. Congressional leaders have unveiled a $1.7 trillion bill to fund the government. We take a look at the bill and examine some of its standout items. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. This spending season, instead of naughty and nice, Santa brought everyone something, regardless of price. Senate Democrats are calling on quick passage of the spending package before government funding expires on Friday. This package represents an aggressive and essential investment in American families, American workers, and in our national defense. The bill includes a nearly 10% boost in defense spending and roughly $40 billion to assist communities across the country recovering from drought, hurricanes, and other natural disasters. It also includes another large round of aid to Ukraine. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now. Lawmakers are working to stuff as many priorities as they can into what is likely to be the last major bill of the current Congress. Senator Patty Murray says the spending package will increase Pell Grants by $500. Well, for students who are struggling to cover tuition or rent, it means making ends meet just got a little bit easier. If the bill is successful, future elections may bear its mark. One of the most important pieces of this bill is the Electoral Count Act. Lawmakers contend that the bill would prevent a repeat of the January 6th Capitol breach. It would further specify that the role of the vice president in counting electoral votes is to be only ceremonial. No budget was found, just mischief and debt, while the taxpayers hung their poor heads and wept. Representative Dan Bishop shared what he called some of the most egregious provisions in the bill on Twitter. It allocates about $1.5 billion to Customs and Border Protection for border management requirements. However, it prohibits using those funds for acquiring, maintaining, or extending border security technology and capabilities, only permitting their use for border processing improvements. But at the same time, it stipulates that $410 million for enhanced border security for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman remain available until 2024. It also includes $3 million for what Bishop called bee-friendly highways, $65 million for Pacific salmon populations, and at least $575 million for family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity. Lawmakers will race to complete passage before a midnight Friday deadline or face the prospect of a partial government shutdown going into the Christmas holiday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now we hear from an economist for some analysis on the omnibus government spending spending bill. We look at the effects of large federal spending amid big deficits and high debt, the impact on tuition, and the need for oversight of some of this taxpayer money. 
Please welcome Vance Ginn, the president of Ginn Economic Consulting and a senior fellow at Young Americans for Liberty. Thanks for making the time to discuss the federal spending bill, Vance. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you today. In your view, what is the most consequential part of this bill, whether it be changes to Medicaid or the aid for Ukraine or something else and why? This is a massive bill. It's $1.7 trillion with a T. As we're already running massive deficits of more than a trillion dollars, the national debt has ballooned to more than $31 trillion. And we're talking about spending more money right after an election, right before a new year. This is something I think ultimately that should be pushed off until the next Congress overall. But there are some things that I think you're going to find uh, some common ground when you think about national defense. There's over $800 billion to that overall budget. Um, it makes you wonder of how much inefficiencies there might be within the defense budget, just like other areas of, of government. Uh, but there's also a lot of other Christmas ornaments that are stuffed into this overall tree that are really going to hurt the taxpayer, which is where this all this money is coming from. And so and I think when you take a deeper dive into this huge omnibus bill, we really should just say no and, and allow for the new Congress to come in and, you know, allow them to have the opportunity to create a budget. Now, you mentioned the taxpayers. How are they really going to be affected by this bill? Are there areas that the bill touches on that can be addressed through the free market or is government spending necessary in all these areas? Well, I think that's a great point. There are a lot of areas that I think the free the free market would do a better job. You know, a lot of things that's happened the last couple of years have been expanding the safety net programs. And that may be good if the money was going to the people that it's intended and that people are getting jobs. But the problem is, is a lot of these weren't connected to work. And I think what we really need to see is a connection back to work. You talk about the remedy to some of these social ills. How is this bill going to affect tuition? Well, that's another big thing in here. There's another increase of $500 to the Pell Grant, uh, which is for low-income folks to go to four-year universities and some other types of colleges. Um, they're increasing that by $500. So they're putting more fuel to the fire of demand, artificially increasing demand, um, which will increase tuition at the end of the day. Now, it will help some people who get that Pell Grant, but overall, tuition is going to continue to soar at places that I consider to not really be teaching a lot of good sound thinking. They're really trying to brainwash a lot of the kids, and I really think there's not a lot of connection with jobs after they are out. So I think there needs to be a new consideration of career and technical education, um, what the workforce really needs. There's a lot of in important things that need to be reformed within the higher education system. Yeah, you raised some interesting concerns about the increase in tuition that may result. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy told Senate Republicans that if they vote for this omnibus and they send any bill to the House, it'll be dead upon arrival if he becomes speaker. What is there, what are we seeing here? Is there any common ground I think there is some common ground, um, probably with national defense, some of the other areas where I think people are like, look, we need to spend more. But I think there's a lot of things in here to need to look at and take a deeper dive to say, you know what, why are we spending this amount of money? There's another $45 billion towards Ukraine and NATO allies. How much more money are we going to spend on that situation that's over there in Ukraine? I mean, I get the point that we need to help in some capacity, but this just seems excessive. Where is that money going? We probably need to do audits and really figure out how this money is being spent because we've already spent tens of billions of dollars that have been going over there already. Um, when you look at Medicaid, when you look at some of these other safety nets that are out there, these there's also concerns of how those dollars are being spent. Really what they need to do is just pass another stopgap measure to keep the government running. It's, uh, they have enough money to run it until December 23rd or the government kind of shuts down, um, but they're giving them the rest of it should all be in the new Congress. Vance Ginn, the president of Ginn Economic Consulting, pleasure having you on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky is scheduled to visit the U.S. today. He's expected to meet with President Biden and address Congress on Capitol Hill.
Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is set to visit the United States on his first known trip abroad since Russia invaded his country in February. His trip coincides with the 300th day since Russia initiated its invasion of Ukraine in February. According to a senior Biden administration official, the visit will involve President Biden welcoming Zelensky at the White House for bilateral meetings. Zelensky is also expected to later address a joint session of Congress on Capitol Hill. The move is expected to demonstrate bipartisan support for Ukraine. Both leaders agreed that the trip would be an important injection of momentum and sustenance to American and allied support for Ukraine for the months ahead and for as long as it takes. Zelensky's trip comes as Congress is set to vote on a $1.6 trillion congressional omnibus bill that includes a record-high $45 billion in emergency assistance to Ukraine and NATO allies. Zelensky's visit also comes amid preparations by the Biden administration to send Patriot surface-to-air missiles to Kyiv to help defend against attacks on the country's critical infrastructure. We will train Ukrainian forces on how to operate the Patriot missile battery in a third country. This will take some time, but Ukrainian troops will take that training back to their country to operate this battery. Kyiv residents were optimistic on the prospects of their president's trip to the states on Wednesday. I think Volodymyr Zelensky went to the U.S. to ask for more weapons for Ukraine to defend the country from the Russian invasion. The trip to Washington is expected to take just several hours, after which Zelensky is expected to return to Kyiv. Meanwhile, Russia says that nothing good would come from Zelensky's trip to Washington and that the Kremlin sees no chance of peace talks with Kyiv. The White House has a new plan to make it easier for humanitarian aid to continue flowing around the world. The U.S. announced the release of new general licenses yesterday. The licenses basically allow groups to avoid U.S. sanctions. Officials say they will make it easier for humanitarian assistance to go out in countries like Afghanistan and Somalia. The licenses go to groups doing a broad range of work, including disaster relief and health services. The Treasury Department also lists groups supporting, quote, democracy, education, environmental protection, and peace building. The licenses can also exempt certain trade items from sanctions like food, medicine, and medical devices. And they can cover official business of the U.S. government, the U.N., the International Red Cross, and similar organizations. A Treasury official said that targeted sanctions, quote, remain an essential foreign policy tool. And now for an update on the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Texas National Guard has been deployed near El Paso. They are preparing for an expected influx of illegal border crossings. Soldiers built fences of razor wire along the Rio Grande yesterday. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the crisis at the southern border. Migrants gathered along both sides of the Rio Grande this week in anticipation of the end of Title 42. On Tuesday near El Paso, Texas National Guard soldiers and Texas state troopers constructed a nearly mile-long fence covered in razor wire to deter them. But it hasn't stopped migrants from attempting to cross illegally. Guard members are telling migrants to leave and go to a point of entry. Some migrants say they feel they were tricked into coming. I view it as a joke to give us hope and then, like a child, trick us and tell us that they are going to postpone Title 42. Many Venezuelans are fleeing socialism and looking for a brighter future in the U.S. Our illusions were completely shattered. My family was very hopeful that we would get through to that country and really progress, but you see how life is. 
we seem to be dragging the curse of Chavez. Title 42 allows U.S. authorities to rapidly expel illegal immigrants. A U.S. federal judge had ordered the COVID-19 restrictions to be lifted on Wednesday. But Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts put a temporary pause on the order Monday. That was in response to a legal challenge by 19 states. The freeze is meant to give parties time to respond. Nobody. The White House on Tuesday asked the Supreme Court to let the restrictions end. But, citing the holiday season and logistical concerns, requested to be left in place until after December 27th. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin had this to say. 42 must be basically enforced and continued on. Manchin says it's not just important in the realm of the pandemic, but also the realm of security. He says there will never be meaningful immigration reform until the border is secured. You have to have a secured border. There have to be ports of entry. There have to make, make sure that people go through the proper, proper vetting process. And those are all things that we can do. The U.S. Supreme Court now will decide whether to halt Title 42 while the state's legal challenge plays out. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Today at noon, Senator James Lankford and Republican senators will hold a press conference on Title 42 and the ongoing crisis at the southern border. NTD will be live streaming the event. You can watch it on our website, ntd.com. Tennessee's governor, U.S. senators, and attorney general are all appealing to the Biden administration. They want it to reverse a reported plan to release Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE detainees, into the state. Republican Governor Bill Lee received notice from the Biden administration on Monday afternoon of the intent to transport multiple busloads of single adult detainees from ICE facilities in New Orleans into Tennessee. The transport could begin as soon as this week. He called the move irresponsible and said it's a threat to the safety of Tennessee residents. Meanwhile, Tennessee Attorney General Jonathan Scrimetti said the state should not be forced to bear the burden of the federal government's ongoing failure to secure the border. He says they are exploring all options to respond to the plan. Senator Marsha Blackburn chimed in, saying that every town is a border town under the Biden administration's border crisis. The White House and ICE did not immediately respond to requests for comment. And today is the winter solstice, the first official day of winter. It's also the shortest day of the year for the northern hemisphere because the sun is appearing at its most southerly spot right above the Tropic of Capricorn. And that means it's the exact opposite in the southern hemisphere where it's the longest day of the year and the start to summer. According to the Farmer's Almanac and EarthSky.org, this year's winter solstice will take place at 2148 Coordinated Universal Time. That's 4.48 p.m. Eastern Time. It means that's the exact moment when the northern hemisphere is most tilted away from the sun. That's roughly six hours later than it was last year. Governors around the country are preparing for extreme cold. Bone-chilling temperatures are expected in many states over the next few days. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper warned of icy conditions coming to his state. He signed a state of emergency yesterday. It activates the state's emergency operations plan. Cooper says it will help ease some restrictions and allow heating fuel companies to keep up with demand. And in Colorado, Governor Jared Polis activated the National Guard. That's to help deal with the extreme cold weather before Christmas. West Virginia and Missouri are also preparing. Their biggest concern is the frigid conditions people are likely to feel. Governor Jim Justice declared a state of preparedness for all West Virginia counties. Missouri Governor Mike Parson signed an executive order. It activates the state's emergency operations plan and the National Guard. 
close to 50 million people are under winter weather alerts from coast to coast. Many Americans will be going over the river and through the woods during the end of the year holidays. Transportation Security Administration officials say they expect travel will be near pre-pandemic numbers over the next few days. Passenger volume hit a high not seen since 2019 over Thanksgiving, and that trend is likely to be repeated. To try to help with congestion at airports nationwide, travelers can text questions to Ask TSA, which is available 24-7. But it's not all smooth flying. Airlines want travelers to consider rebooking their Christmas trips ahead of some nasty winter weather across much of the U.S. A potential blizzard is forecast to hit Chicago and the Midwest on peak holiday travel days. United, American, and Southwest Airlines have posted travel waivers for those flying to, from, or through many U.S. airports. The waivers typically allow passengers to rebook without change fees or fare increases. As of Tuesday, Delta Airlines issued a travel advisory and waiver information for two airports in the Northwest, Portland and Seattle. Other airlines like JetBlue, Alaska, and Spirit are also issuing waivers to change flights in certain airports on certain dates. You can check their websites for the details. Elon Musk says he will resign as chief executive of Twitter once a replacement has been found. This, after a poll he launched on Sunday, resulted in Twitter users calling for him to step down. Musk says he will give up the Twitter CEO post, quote, as soon as I find someone foolish enough to take the job. He says he will then turn his focus to running the software and servers teams. Calls from Wall Street for Musk to step down had been growing for weeks. Some Tesla shareholders have questioned his focus on the social media platform. They wonder if it's distracting him from properly leading the electric vehicle business, where he's key to product design and engineering. And coming up, as more deadly drugs are expected to come across the border, there are calls to promote the position of drugs are. We have that and more just after this break. A lawsuit challenging the results of the election for Arizona Attorney General can proceed. A judge ruled that the Republican challenger can make his case. Abraham Hamaday lost to Democrat Chris Mays by just 511 votes. That's out of 2.5 million ballots total. Along with the Republican National Committee, Hamaday filed a lawsuit on November 22nd alleging errors and inaccuracies at voting locations. He says officials in at least 15 counties disenfranchised voters, miscounted ballots, and counted illegal votes. The judge scheduled a trial for Friday and said Hamaday can inspect ballots in three counties. The judge noted that it would be difficult for him to prove each claim of misconduct. And there are calls for President Biden to reinstate the position of drug czar to a cabinet-level post. This comes amid an expected surge of deadly drugs across the southern border. The drug czar is officially known as director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody is calling on Biden to reinstate the position to that of a cabinet post. While Biden was vice president under then-President Barack Obama in 2009, the drug czar was demoted from a cabinet-level position to that of a presidential appointment. The end of Title 42 is expected to trigger a massive surge of illegal immigrants and deadly fentanyl into the country. The Florida Attorney General sent a letter to Biden on Monday saying, quote, In the face of our growing crisis, I am calling on you to reverse that decision. 
South Dakota is ending a state contract with a local transgender advocacy group. The contract was between the state's Department of Health and the Transformation Project based in Sioux Falls. The Transformation Project says its mission is to educate communities about gender identity and expression. The group has allegedly failed to meet a number of contractual obligations, and the contract was signed without Governor Kristi Noem's prior knowledge or approval. The governor's office said, quote, South Dakota does not support this organization's efforts, and state government should not be participating in them. We should not be dividing our youth with radical ideologies. The University of Oklahoma will be banning TikTok on devices owned or operated by the university. This is after Governor Kevin Stitt signed an executive order banning TikTok on state devices. The ban applies to both students and university staff. That's according to an email that students received on Tuesday. University officials said in the letter, quote, access to the TikTok platform will be blocked and cannot be accessed from the campus network. The governor banned the social media app earlier this month. He said at the time, quote, we will not participate in helping the Chinese Communist Party gain access to government information. You're about to see what happens when a locomotive barrels into a tractor trailer. It happened just after noon Tuesday near Chattanooga, Tennessee. The truck was stopped at a red light with its trailer on the tracks. Authorities say the railroad crossing bar and signals were working at the time. The truck was carrying a 130-foot-long concrete trestle to be used in a road construction project. The train derailed after the collision, and two Norfolk Southern employees had to go to the hospital. The truck driver was not hurt. It's been 20 years since Lacey Peterson and her unborn son were murdered by her husband, Scott Peterson, and Tuesday, Peterson lost his bid for a new trial. The convicted killer was sentenced to death in 2005, but in August 2020, the California Supreme Court reversed Peterson's death sentence. And last December, he was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This summer, lawyers for Peterson argued that his conviction should be overturned due to jury misconduct. His attorneys said juror number seven was biased and did not disclose relevant information on his juror questionnaire. They asked the court to give Peterson a new trial. Tuesday, a Northern California judge announced her decision, saying in a lengthy filing that Peterson will not get a new trial. The judge said the juror was, quote, not motivated by pre-existing or improper bias, but instead her incorrect answering was a result of misunderstanding and sloppiness. The winner of last year's Boston Marathon women's race has been stripped of her title. Investigators discovered the Kenyan runner used a banned drug. She tested positive for a medication that is often prescribed to reduce swelling associated with eczema and other rashes. The Athletics Integrity Unit also found she provided fake documentation that a physician had prescribed her the drug. The runner did not challenge the findings. The 28-year-old is now banned from competing in sanctioned races for six years. The AIU also banned a fellow Kenyan runner for five years on similar doping allegations. The Better Business Bureau and animal rescue groups are issuing warnings. Scammers may try to take advantage of people looking to give pets as holiday gifts. Here are five things to consider if a furry new companion is on your wish list. 
twice before you buy a pet for your loved one this holiday season. The Better Business Bureau and animal rescue groups are issuing warnings about pet scams. And according to the BBB, financial losses from pet scams are expected to approach $2 million this year. Unscrupulous breeders have gotten pretty good at trying to dupe the public into thinking that they're adopting an animal when they're in actuality buying from a puppy mill. Holly Sizemore from Best Friends Animal Society has these five things to consider before purchasing a new furry addition to your family. One, avoid online fraud. Many listings could be fake and you could be paying for a pet that doesn't exist. So meet your new pet in person before exchanging any money. Two, know the years long commitment, both with time and the cost of owning a pet. Basic costs such as food, toys, enrichment, those are all important necessities for pets. Pets can be affordable, but it is a cost that you need to anticipate and, and budget. Three, get the animal's health checked. Sizemore says dogs sold online often come from puppy mills and suffer from health issues due to poor living conditions and inbreeding. Four, make the sustainable choice. Consider saving a life by adopting from a local shelter or rescue group. And finally, consider giving the experience of picking out a pet instead of picking it out yourself. That is a great way to bring the joy of a new pet into the house during the holidays and allow the, the pet parent to choose the pet that best meets their lifestyle. Just ahead, since 2016, China has been sending police officers on joint patrols with their Italian counterparts, but that form of cooperation is now coming to an end. A district in Seoul remains silent during this holiday season after a Halloween tragedy killed 58 people. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. A historic low is predicted for China's economic growth outlook, and Apple is moving some of its production out of China and moving it to Vietnam. Here's the story. The World Bank is cutting its growth outlook for China again, citing the pandemic and ongoing property sector weakness. In a report released on Tuesday, the World Bank lowered its expectations for China's economic growth to 2.7 percent for this year. If the prediction proves accurate, it would mark China's worst performance in nearly half a century. China set the same target at 5.5 percent. A survey by World Economics shows China's business confidence has fallen to its lowest in 10 years. What's more, foreign investors cut Chinese bonds for 10 months in a row, offloading more than $100 billion worth. Over in Silicon Valley, Apple is taking another step towards its out-of-China production goal. According to Japanese newspaper Nikkei Asia, for the first time ever next year, Apple will begin producing some of its MacBook computers in Vietnam. And its assembly partner Foxconn could begin assembling devices there as soon as May. Once production begins there, the tech giant will be capable of producing all of its main products outside China. That is, iPhones in India and MacBooks, Apple Watches and iPads in Vietnam. Apple has been trying to increase the reliability of its supply chain, which leans heavily on China. That effort comes amid ongoing geopolitical and health challenges in the country. 
Chinese police in Italy going on patrol with Italian law enforcement. It was a form of cooperation between the two countries. However, the practice is now coming to an end. No more Chinese police officers will be allowed to patrol Italian streets. That's according to the country's government. Since 2016, China has been sending police officers for joint patrols with their Italian counterparts in cities like Rome and Milan. But now Italy's government says it is putting a stop to the practice. The country's minister of the interior explaining, quote, those forms of cooperation will no longer be practiced. The move follows a report from human rights group Safeguard Defenders. It detailed how China has set up over a hundred police offices in overseas countries, including 11 in Italy and three in the United States. The report says Beijing uses the police offices to intimidate and threaten Chinese dissidents. It also suggests the deal that allows Chinese police to patrol in Italy is linked to the police stations in the country. Italy's interior minister denies the accusation. He said the joint patrols happened from 2016 to 2019 and were suspended during the COVID-19 pandemic. The bodies of six Thai Navy sailors were brought back to shore after a warship capsized in rough seas on Sunday. 23 sailors remain missing in the Gulf of Thailand. The Royal Thai Navy is continuing a search for those still unaccounted for. Some are believed to be without life jackets. The sailors' bodies that were found are now at hospital for autopsy and identification. The Navy Chief Admiral said they will investigate the sinking, as well as the reports that there were not enough life jackets on board. The warship went down after it was knocked over by 13-foot waves and strong winds. The vessel suffered an engine malfunction as it took on water. It's been in use since 1987 and was made by the U.S. It was carrying 105 military personnel. The regional Navy commander said finding the missing men soon is critical given their time exposed to the elements. Normally this time of year, Seoul's Itaewon Nightlife Quarter is alive with festive cheer, but now the district is shrouded in quiet grief following the deadly Halloween crush. These streets in South Korea's Itaewon district would usually buzz with festive cheer. But this year, Christmas parties are happening elsewhere in Seoul. While the nightlife district mourns the Halloween crowd crush that killed 158 people, most of them aged 20 to 30. Instead of bustle, there are messages to remember the victims. It's like people can sense an air of solemnity as they walk in this area. Itaewon used to be a place for Christmas parties with lots of decorations on streets, like Hongdae, but it has become very silent and somber. Some Itaewon restaurants and stores have put up trees and sparkle, but an eerie quiet haunts the back alleys that house the hottest nightclubs, where thousands flocked in October to enjoy the first proper Halloween parties in three years. Resident Kim kyung Nyon says it's too soon for business as usual. It's hard to hear Christmas carols, and we only see very few Christmas trees. The atmosphere has changed a lot. It's been more than a month since the incident, but people are still grieving. It looks like we will need more time. The manager of this hamburger joint, who preferred not to be named, says his business still suffers from the disaster, as do other restaurants and bars nearby. But Christmas spirit is on show in the traditional tourist district of Myeongdong, 
where megastores have unveiled glittering annual displays. The Seoul city government now has a team to manage large gatherings. Police have set up crowd control barriers around viewing areas at the stores. So even here, Jian Yehyang says, people are constantly reminded of the tragedy. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, thousands of nurses walk off their jobs in the United Kingdom over pay. Ambulance staff are also striking and will only cover life-threatening emergencies. And the Taliban is banning women from attending universities. This latest rule is drawing condemnation from the international community. More shortly, here on NTD News Today. Nursing strikes in the UK. Union bosses have warned the situation will escalate unless the government engages more in negotiations. Thousands of nurses across England, Wales, and Northern Ireland walked out yesterday in a dispute over pay. And today, ambulance staff have walked out with staff on call only for life-threatening emergencies. Entity's Malcolm Hudson has this report from London. I'm here outside St. Thomas's Hospital, where well over 100 nurses are striking over pay. The atmosphere here is pretty energetic, with cars and buses driving by and honking in support. The government has said that the pay rise demanded by the Royal College of Nursing is unaffordable, but the RCN has indicated it would accept a lower offer. Thousands of nurses across the UK staged their second walkout. The RCN warned that strikes could go on for six months unless an agreement can be reached. They have been calling for a pay rise of 5% above inflation, though appear open to negotiation. During Tuesday's strikes, the NHS ran a bank holiday-style service in many areas. Thousands of operations and procedures were cancelled and rescheduled. One lady on her way to a hospital appointment said nurses have to be appreciated. It's not good. It's not good for me because even right now I'm going to hospital, but my appointment has not been cancelled. But I think the government should look at their matter because they are one of the very hard-working people in our country, so we have to appreciate all their hard work. A man said nurses have been asking for more pay for a long time. There's a lot of um, planning that's gone into these strikes so that the people in critical conditions are being looked after. Um, but, I mean, the reality of striking is that services have to be disrupted. Um, and they've been asking for these things for a long time. The fact that they're not in hospitals at the moment, that shows how important they are, right? Because that's an important question. But without nurses, who's looking after those patients? And therefore, they need to be appreciated, they need to be valued. And a nurse from Scotland said health workers are in a difficult situation. The NHS um, themselves have to obviously try and retain nurses and employ more nursing staff, but they can't do that because the government aren't funding it. So I guess we're in a catch-22 situation. Ambulance staff in England and Wales are set to strike on Wednesday. Union leaders are reassuring the public that there will be cover for life-threatening emergencies and serious cases like heart attacks and strokes. Talks around the strikes are ongoing and further announcements are expected.
Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. In the UK, a train driver's union announced more strikes over pay and working conditions in January, with services set to be crippled for a week. Members of Asluff Union, who work at 15 train companies, will walk out on Thursday, January 5th, after overwhelming votes for more industrial action. Asluff's leader said, We are always happy to negotiate, but these companies have offered us nothing, and that is unacceptable. The union also accused the government of tying rail operators' hands in negotiations. Members of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union are already planning to strike on January 3rd, 4th, 6th and 7th. A spokesman for the Rail Delivery Group said, No one wants to see this strike go ahead and we can only apologize to passengers and the many businesses who will be hit by this damaging disruption. Russian President Vladimir Putin addresses top Russian military officials. He shared his thoughts on the war in Ukraine and what Russia plans to use continue fighting. It is well known that today the military potential and capabilities of almost all major NATO countries are being used. Nonetheless, our soldiers, sergeants and officers are fighting for Russia bravely and resiliently. Our army and military capabilities are increasing constantly, every day. This process will, make no mistake, be sped up. Putin asked his military to analyze the weapons and forces NATO is using against Russia and use it as a reference to build Russia's military. He also talked about developing Russia's nuclear capability, saying it's the main guarantee of maintaining Russia's sovereignty and territorial integrity. He also says nuclear capability ensures Russia's position in the world and the balance of power in general. He also said he is supplying the military with new hypersonic missiles and that in the future new intercontinental ballistic missiles will be ready. Putin was speaking at an end-of-year meeting of Russia's top defense chiefs. He urged the assembled military leaders to use their experience gained fighting in Syria and during the 10 months of what Moscow calls its special military operation in Ukraine to continue fighting. The Russian foreign minister says European countries haven't properly investigated the Nord Stream pipeline explosions from September. He says European Union investigations are not objective. He adds that Russia stopped gas flow through the northern routes after the explosions, but that Russia is instead supplying gas through Black Sea pipelines to anybody who wants to buy it. Investigators in Sweden and Denmark say the explosions were the deliberate results of sabotage, though they did not name any possible culprits. Russia has blamed Britain. Those claims were rejected by London. A Washington Post report says there is no conclusive evidence that Russia was behind the pipeline explosions and suggests it might not be possible to establish who was behind them. Two military aircraft belonging to Turkey were stranded in Ukraine since the war began. Now they've finally made their way back to Turkey after 10 months. The Turkish Defense Ministry shared a video of the two aircraft. The two Airbus A400M military transport planes belonging to the Turkish Air Force. They flew to the Kyiv airport shortly after midnight on February 24th. It was the same night that Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Turkey said the two aircraft had gone to Kyiv to deliver humanitarian supplies and evacuate Turkish citizens, but they became stuck when Ukrainian airspace was closed due to the outbreak of war. The two aircraft left Ukraine on Tuesday afternoon and arrived at an airport in Turkey in the evening. 
Now turning our attention to the Middle East. The Taliban is banning women in Afghanistan from attending universities. The U.S. is responding. The Taliban on Tuesday asked both private and public universities to deny access to any female students. Afghan girls have also been barred from attending secondary schools since the Taliban seized Afghanistan in August 2021. Following the latest rule, the highest level of education that Afghan girls can attain now will be the sixth grade. The U.S. State Department condemned the rule. This unacceptable stance will have significant consequences for the Taliban and will further alienate the Taliban from the international community and deny them the legitimacy they desire. The State Department added that it will look to see what more can it do to hold the Taliban accountable. After the Taliban's new rule came out, protests broke out at a university in Afghanistan. And still to come, in Finland, Santa's post office has been flooded with letters this month, including those from kids in Ukraine. They're asking for peace as a gift. And a region in Finland expects record-breaking visitors despite sub-zero temperatures. The region is home to Santa Claus Village. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. In the far north of Finland, Santa Claus is busy preparing gifts for kids. Every year, half a million children write to Santa with their wish lists. But this winter, there's some poignancy in the letters. Let's take a look. Good afternoon, Santa Claus. My name is Petro, and I have a sister. Her name is Stefania. I am six years old, and my sister is two and a half. At the Santa Claus post office in Lapland, the northernmost region of Finland, Elf Katya spotted a letter from a little boy in Ukraine. We used to live in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, but now because of war, we live in western Ukraine. Please give peace to Ukraine. We love our country very much. Santa receives about half a million children's letters each year, but not all of them ask him to bring toys. Concern for Santa's well-being is a common theme, including this one. A little girl, five years old, asked from her mother if Santa Claus has to go to war, should there be a war in Finland? And the mother said that maybe Santa is already so old that he doesn't have to go to war and that he has a lot of friends around the world where Santa could move if Santa would have to leave his house. Finland shares an 800-mile border with Russia. These letters are reminders of how children are caught up in the war, yet they also send a message of hope. They seem to be, of course, worried about the situation in their home country, but it seems that there is still always a little bit hope, including these letters. So even people have to move from their houses and their homes. They are still hoping for the better future, as, as we all do for the, for the Ukraine. It's the busiest time of the year in Lapland's Santa Claus village. The jolly man knows, amid higher living costs and an energy squeeze, children may fear their parents can't afford a Merry Christmas. But he gives assurance that holiday spirit isn't just about money. Christmas is not about the gifts. Christmas is in your mind and in your heart, in your soul. That's Christmas. And it goes, it doesn't go away. 
It doesn't go away. Christmas is there and it's going to be there uh, this year, next year, whatever happens. As for Santa himself, riding his sleigh through the snow with his favorite reindeer is perhaps the best gift of all. The official home of Santa Claus in Finland's Lapland is expecting a record number of visitors this month. That's as tourism rebounds from the COVID pandemic. The city benefits from new direct flights from across Europe. Here's more. Welcome to Santa Claus Village, just outside Rovaniemi, the capital of Finnish Lapland. It has long been marked as the official home of Santa Claus. Visitors wrapped up against the brisk sub-zero temperatures are enjoying the long dark nights here. I have two small children and we always wanted to bring them here for them to meet Santa Claus in person. I think uh, Finland and Lapland is a very nice place to stay in uh, winter period and uh, because uh, you have the snow, you have uh, all these lights uh, and you know, Rovaniemi is uh, a beautiful city to visit. 2019 held the previous record year for the city, with 61,000 people visiting in December. After Covid hit, just 11,000 came in December 2020, and most of those were from Finland. But now the local tourist board projects almost 64,000 visitors. And this season is definitely going to break records. Already in December, but further on we go for winter, January, February, March. It's going to be a strong full season for Lapland. That's in part fueled by new routes to Rovaniemi from across Europe. Airlines, EasyJet, KLM and Ryanair are now offering direct flights from places like Dublin, London, Brussels and Amsterdam. This resort on the outskirts of Rovaniemi is benefiting from the influx. Its CEO said they built around 30 new accommodation units, increasing the resort's capacity by more than 50%. The investment paid off. Compared to the season before COVID, we are already three times bigger this year. So our turnover has tripled compared to the pre-COVID time. Tourist activity businesses are also feeling the pressure of the increase in visitor numbers. We get 60 dogs more and we have now 10 people on the work. Last season only six, now 10 and we get two more. <laughs> and we have now dogs, running dogs, we have here now 114. Thousands of lights set up a unique Christmas mood in central Italy. They stand in for real Christmas trees to light up the night sky. The Umbria region is known as the green heart of Italy. Here, tourists and locals gathered to kick off festivities in the area. A giant Christmas tree-shaped float was lit up on a local lake. The decoration consists of more than 160 support poles, four miles of cable, and 2,600 perimeter lights. And elsewhere, near Mount Ingino, another light show seeks to rival it. There, one of the world's largest Christmas trees was illuminated, showcasing a display made up of more than 800 lights. The tree-like structure is over 2,600 feet tall and 1,300 feet wide, with lights connected by more than 40,000 feet of cable. And coming up, Israel has unearthed what appears to be a Jewish burial cave. Locals reference it to a story about Jesus' birth. And what are the highlights of Christmas around the world? We bring you some of the most special ways of celebrating when we come back.
Israel has found what looks to be a Jewish burial site with evidence of early Christian pilgrimages. Locals call it the Cave of Salome and reference it to a non-biblical story about Jesus' birth. We found tens but tens of oil lamps decorated with flowers and plants. The pilgrims used to come, rent an oil lamp, enter to the cave, pray, and come out and give back the, the oil lamp. Archaeologists say the 2,000-year-old cave was discovered 40 years ago, but remained buried until this dig. The most remarkable find was a 3,700-square-foot yard with stone slabs and mosaic floors consistent with a famous Jewish family burial. Other findings suggest the place was both a Jewish tomb and a Christian pilgrimage site. The site is located about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. According to the Israel Antiquities Authority, it served Christian pilgrims well into the 9th century. How is Christmas celebrated around the world? We bring you some of the most special Christmas highlights from across the Atlantic. Get ready for a feast for your eyes. Red, white, and green fireworks lit up the night sky of Bethlehem, drawing visitors to the biblical birthplace of Jesus. Next to the Church of the Nativity, hundreds of colored lights adorn a giant 50-foot Christmas tree. After two years of shutdown due to the pandemic, the city is grateful for the return of foreign visitors and local Christians. Our message from the municipality of Bethlehem to the whole world is that the spirit of Christmas should bring us together, bring us peace, and push us to work together for this city and our country. For kids on vacation, Copenhagen's Tivoli Gardens is just too good to miss. This year, hundreds of spruce trees, miles of reeds, and thousands of Christmas baubles decorate this 50-acre paradise. One of the oldest amusement parks in the world, Tivoli first opened its gates about 180 years ago. Among the early visitors was Hans Christian Andersen, Denmark's most famous writer. Walt Disney is said to have visited several times in the 1950s, hoping to draw inspiration for Disneyland. It's a place with a lot of tradition. You can, you can feel it when you're here. You can see the buildings are, are, are way back. When day turns tonight, lights fill the park with a festive glow. Huge light projections illuminate Tivoli's Nimbu Hotel. It means so much. First of all, I like Tivoli because it's such a magical place. It's full of stories and the good vibes. And for us, it means to uh, spend quality time together with family and friends. Crowds gathered, counting down to the Christmas tree lights switching on. Though there was a joyful hiccup. And over in Germany, of its time-honored Christmas markets, the largest is this one in Nuremberg, Bavaria, with trumpeters and choirs singing along an angel announced her arrival in the city's cathedral. This ritual has been kept in the city since 1948. It's believed that the angelic figure will bring Christmas gifts to children. The Nuremberg Christmas market is also one of the oldest in Germany. 
its origins dating back to the 17th century. And in Vienna, a sea of twinkling stars in front of the upper Belvedere Palace, with its stunning Baroque facade as a backdrop, the place is perfect to work some Christmas magic. Starting in mid-November, around 30 Christmas markets are open in this imperial city, including some in the palace courtyard. It feels great after two and a half years of pandemic to finally be able to organize and hold a Christmas market again without restriction and without control. It's another kind of merriment. In the heart of the Vatican's St. Peter's Square, an artistic nativity scene glows in the darkness of the winter night. The structure is built entirely of wood. Just a few steps away, a giant Christmas tree sets the mood for holiday cheer. The majestic white fir comes from Italy, taking its place in this decades-old tradition started by Pope John Paul II. Also boasting a Christmas tree, Budapest has a unique way of decorating it. The lights only come on when someone pedals hard. The city is canceling most of its regular Christmas lights this year due to the energy crisis. The energy bills are skyrocketing both for residents and for public institutions. Therefore, we wanted to create a lights decoration in the Mechwart Park this year, which is about saving costs, both symbolically and practically. Just as chic is the audio-visual mapping show in the Estonian capital. Themed Time Flies, it's projected on the City Hall building, with dancers and musicians performing on the main stage. The medieval surroundings of the old town and the traditional seasonal food invite visitors from far and wide. The city's Christmas market was voted the best in Europe in 2019. I really think so, that this is uh, in the world's most beautiful Christmas market. <laughs> and in Athens, mayors from around the world attended a grand lighting ceremony. New York City Mayor Eric Adams pressed the button to light the bulbs in the tree. Christmas from Athens of America, New York City, happy holidays. <laughs> Athens' mayor called the ceremony a gesture of solidarity and peace. This is a difficult time. There's a war on our continent. We need to send a message, a strong message from Athens to the world that light will prevail over darkness. And finally, back in Midtown Manhattan on Saks Fifth Avenue, luxury retailer Bergdorf Goodman sends the message of magic in the making. Their windows showcase imagination and creativity. Macy's is spreading joy with the theme of Give Love. Their interactive window features bears in knitted sweaters and foxes in plaid, wishing all a wonderful Christmas. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.